Welcome to the That Don't Fit podcast, a podcast where we're dedicated to talking about life and life's real issues that cross racial and generational lines. My name is Jared Torrance, and I'm here with my co-host, Andy Farmer. We're friends, we're pastors, we're wanting to help people talk and process life in a crazy world. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome back. We've decided the next couple of weeks to counter-program get off of the political trail that everybody's on and talk about some deeper things. So we are actually going to be uh, accessing some content we recently produced that was a panel discussion uh, on the issue of uh, theology and race. Remember, mm-hmm. we talked about how that's uh, theology is essential to understanding race and ethnicity. And so this is kind of feeding into that. So we're going to be talking about uh, the Imago Day, and we're going to talk about the glory of God. Enjoy. Today I'm going to address why God's glory matters in the racial conversation. So let me cut to the chase on the question, why does God's glory matter? If we don't have a functional awareness of God's glory, we simply can't make sense or respond to issues of race and justice. Without a foundation of the glory of God, we won't understand the purposes of God for creating ethnic diversities, and we see them in Genesis 10 and 11. We won't see the seriousness of racism and ethnic partiality. We won't understand our role and motivation as Christians in engaging the world's problems. We won't know how to discern the times. We will be vulnerable to idolizing ethnicity and culture. We won't know how to speak up and when to shut up. We won't know how to grieve and lament things we don't fully understand. We won't, as the people and body of Christ, be the light we're called to be in a racially torn world. And we'll miss the opportunity to demonstrate and enjoy true unity in diversity as God intends it to be expressed through His church. It's particularly this issue of demonstrating unity in diversity as the church that we as pastors want to build in covenant fellowship as part of who we are and link arms with other believers in that common cause. In his book, Black and Reformed, Anthony Carter expresses this burden this way. If Christians of various races would examine history from the perspective of a sovereign God ordaining and orchestrating all events for His glory, we would find that we have more in common than not. And the glory of God's a massive topic. It saturates every page of the Bible from the opening of Genesis to the close of Revelation, and I have about 20 minutes to talk about it. (laughs) Glory is... Who God truly is packaged for our comprehension. We can't comprehend the fullness of God, but we can engage the God who reveals His glory. When we think of glory, a kind of fear should rise in our hearts, a realization that we are encountering someone beyond our comprehension and control, One commentator on this passage says this, what is involved here is the divine 
uniqueness, the right to be acknowledged as supreme. Glory isn't the, like looking at the Grand Canyon and being amazed and impressed by its vastness or seeing distant galaxies and black holes through satellite images and realizing how small we are in the cosmos. No, glory isn't just awesome, it's personal. It's personal to God Himself. God cares about His glory. He will not lend it to people, nor will He let it be ignored forever. God's glory has another aspect as well. You see, in this passage, we see that God knows Moses' frailty and his need. He knows our frailty and our weaknesses and our needs. So rather than lead out with the parts of his glory that make us recoil in fear, he leads with something else. Going back to verse 29, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. This is the gospel in the Old Testament. God's full, uncompromised glory enveloped in goodness and graciousness and mercy for us. This, above all, is what God wants us to know about Him. The ultimate expression of God's glory, wrapped in grace, is Jesus. John says in John 1.14 in his prologue to the Gospel of John, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, passed among us, made encampment among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Jesus, God's glory doesn't pass by us. God's glory dwells with us. In Jesus, abides as we abide with Him. Paul says it like this, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, you know God. If you believe in Him, you have received all the fullness of Him that humankind is capable of receiving. That's the glory of the cross. The cross is where God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy flow to us in the blood of a crucified Savior. The cross is God's placing us in the broken cleft of the rock of Jesus so that we can behold His glory and not only live, but have eternal life. The cross turns us into partakers of and reflectors of the glory of God. Now, if you're tracking what I'm saying here, you're probably 
seeing that this is pretty important information. But somehow, it's not showing up in my news feed. It's probably not in yours either. Because we live in a world where the glory of God doesn't matter. And at the center of all false worship is me. It's us. The glory of me, the glory of us, the glory of my people, the glory of my party, the glory of my tribe, of my country, of my church, of my racial or ethnic background, of my life experience, of my opinion, of my feelings. It's our glory that must be acknowledged, that must be validated, that must ultimately be worshipped. But that's the total problem. You see, it's not about me. It's about God. Life is not about us. It's about God. The essence of the glory of God proclaims to us, it's not about you. It's about God. John Newton, who dedicated his life to overcoming slavery and racism, drops the truth this way. The gospel is calculated and designed to stain the pride of human glory. See, we live in a world that basks in human glory. We see the effects of that everywhere. If you and I drift from this orientation to God's glory, we will do little ultimate good in an idol-worshiping world. We'll just set up our own little idols of self and pet causes and add to the festival pride of human glory. Worse still, we will actually deprive our world of what it needs most, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, shed abroad in our hearts. So how do we stay centered in the glory of God to stay truly useful in a racially hurting world. Here's a couple of stands I suggest we take. It stands I want to take and remind myself regularly to stand in them. Number one, we should stand on the reality that God's glory in the world is my primary cause. God's glory in this world is my primary cause. If you get involved in causes framed by the world's philosophies or values, if you embrace political positions shaped by the world's agendas and, and angers, if you judge other people according to the world's prejudices, you'll be promoting the world's glory. And you will do no ultimate good with your redeemed life. You were saved. I was saved and have been left on this world, in this space, for the glory of God. Now, you can do a lot of things. This isn't just what happens in religion. This isn't just churchiness. You can do a lot of things in these hard times motivated by the glory of God. You can march for racial justice for the glory of God. You can march for life for the glory of God. You can march for peace 
for the glory of God. You can stand for the national anthem for the glory of God. You can kneel during the national anthem for the glory of God. You can respect the role of the police and officers who effectively serve their community for the glory of God. You can advocate for change in law enforcement and the justice system for the glory of God. You can post what you wanna say on your social media for the glory of God, or you cannot post what you want to say on social media for the glory of God. You can even, and hear this, you can even vote for the glory of God. What you do is important in this world. Why you do it is about the glory of God. A second stand we need to take. God's glory in my soul is my primary concern. God's glory in my soul is my primary concern. Here's my application. Do you spend good parts of your day agitated by what's going on around you in this world? Do you spend half your time scrolling through your phone and the other half wanting to shove it down the garbage disposal? Do you feel like you see things clearly and nobody else does? Do you feel like the world is crazy and you just want to get off of it? I get it. I have those days. We're going to have those days, but we shouldn't have that kind of life. If we do, we don't really have a culture problem at that point. We have a glory problem. And that, at that point, the problem isn't unrest and sin in the world. It's unrest and sin in our souls. The Christian who has lost hope, the Christian who has given themselves over to anger or despair or who has locked in on some narrative and can't entertain other sides of the story, who has, has forfeited to the world the one thing that's meant to make them useful and fruitful in the world, the humbling and liberating joy of knowing that it's not about me, it's about God. Perhaps John Piper's most important statement about, is about this very thing. Piper said, and you know it, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. So many Christians these days flop between agitation and escape. I'm in, I'm out. I care, I don't care. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to bail out. You just feel it. It's not a great way to live. And it certainly won't do much good. When we make our daily goal to taste the glory of God in our souls, we get off that crazy train. We get motivated to pray, which is where the power comes from. We get convicted to repent. We get envisioned to act. We get inspired to hope. Then we can do something good in a sin-sick and divided world. As we think about the world we live in, the disharmony, the violence, the cycles of destruction, the lack of answers, it should get our attention. 
but we cannot let it get our hearts. We are here for another reason. We are here to make a difference individually and collectively as the body of Christ. To show something the world doesn't have. Paul says it like this in Ephesians 3.21, To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I guess so I guess this is to you, Jared. <laughs> um, what, what are some gauges that you have? So if you post something or if you interact in a conversation or if you are uh, feeling a certain type of way about something, how do you gauge on the motivation, whether it's I'm actually doing this for the glory of God or or, you know, there's a little bit of, of self-glory in this because it's not really like a checklist that comes. Like there's no lightning bolt that says, check, you did it right for my glory, says God, or this is mine. Yeah, it's the, it's the foundational issue of why do I care about mm -hmm. the things that I care about, which is what Andy said so well. And the, the thing that stands out to me, even as Andy's teaching, is that there's so much talk in our culture about justice and about race that is in that is totally godless mm -hmm. and it's not until you hear a god saturated treatment of these themes that that stands out in a in a whole new way and so foundational to engaging these issues is lord we're doing this because we care about your glory yeah. we we recognize your commitment to your glory in justice, in ethnic harmony, and therefore uh, that's what motivates us. That's our, our desire. And so it takes um, uh, taking a close look at our, at our own motives, yeah. at, uh, you know, examining our hearts, keeping a close watch on our heart. Um, when things don't go the way that we want, how do we respond at those moments? That's, when, yes. that's where idolatry can so often be um, revealed when we, give into, when we give into sin. But I think we need to keep coming back to the idea that I, I want to have a concern for this that is grounded in God's greater concern for this same thing. That's good. Yeah, I, I think as we're dialoguing about these things something that comes to mind is is uh is which is exactly what you said is what's my reaction when they're not given the reaction that i desire like what's my response um if my response is anger uh at someone either uh because a, a lot of times in these conversations it's like um people can run straight to like okay what about the facts or let's do this kind of thing or let's talk about this and there's not really um a time to, to pause and, and think through and talk through or lament or, or certain things like that. And it's like, okay, if that's what's happening, how do I move forward in engagement? Do I meet them where they're at and it turns into an argument rather than a conversation? That's a, a, a telltale sign that my glory is, is, is affected and I feel that that is in danger. But when I recognize 
You know, it's the whole fear of man, fear of God. When I recognize that I'm not concerned about my own reputation, I'm concerned about God's reputation, it alters how I have to engage these conversations. I have to move forward in love and grace. I have to, I mean, even when you were talking about Exodus and uh, when Moses said, show me your glory and what passes by, his goodness, like the character of God is is something that we are supposed to reflect as we engage with other people. And so uh, the, the goodness, the grace, graciousness, the forgiveness that comes from God to us, that's that's the glory that passed by Moses. And that needs to be at the forefront of these conversations. We have proven ourselves unworthy of God's attention, but God himself says, I'm going to come and pass before you because I want you to know I'm with you. I know who you are. And that's the whole point. God says, I know who you are. I know what you're dealing with. I know what you can handle but let me, let me come towards you. So that sense of the presence of God, how do we get that? I, I frankly don't think we're going to be that effective in any cause as believers if we're lured into it, drawn into it by the angst of the culture, even though the angst is, is legitimate. I mean, you know, the anger is real. The, 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 the sadness is real. The pain is real. The confusion is real. But we can't operate on that fuel. The fuel we have to operate on is the fuel of the glory of God, which puts us in any situation with something different than the world has to offer. And even, and sorry, one more thing. And even, even on that, it's like, uh, you know, when you talked about Genesis 11, like, I think something that is constantly missing from these conversations is uh, uh, something that I, I, we've talked about it a few times, just the joy of justice, like yeah. the the joy that is uh, on display when God's plan is moving forward in a way that glorifies him. And so, you know, what what is ethnic justice? It's people being treated with dignity because they're made in the image of God. It's people uh, of different backgrounds, all this different kind of diversity being unified under the banner of Christ. Like that's not, that's not a, a harsh, angry, let me get all fired up about it. Like justice is joyful. When, when we talk about justice, we're not talking about vengeance and revenge. We're talking about putting things the way that God has intended them, which glorifies him. God has a good purpose for creating ethnicities. Yes, uh, needs yeah. to be said as one of those points that you that you opened up with, and and there is joy in that. There is beauty in that that counters the idea that we should minimize ethnic differences uh, or that we should be blind to ethnic differences. No, God created uh, ethnicities. Genesis ten, Genesis eleven, and other places in Scripture describe that. Um, in Deuteronomy 32, 8, it says that God is the one who gave ethnicities their inheritance. Acts 17, 26 says that from one man, God made every nation, every ethnicity. So ethnicity is God's idea for his own glory, yes. for his joy, and for our joy. That, as a foundational issue, just changes the way that you will engage right. and view the world around you yeah. when it comes to diversity. I brought a quote here from a guy named Dewey Hughes. He's a Welshman who wrote a book called Ethnic Identity from the Margins, a Christian Perspective. But he touches on this theme. You're talking about the joy of these things. He says, the whole creation witnesses to the fact that God enjoys diversity and different ethnic groups are but one expression of this divine joy. Why does God desire ethnic diversity? One ethnic group could not possibly adequately express the glory of God. 
the beauty of a diamond consists, he says, in the number of facets it has. The greater the number of facets, the greater the glory of an individual diamond. Ethnic diversity is meant to express the glory of God in different ways. And then he quotes Revelation 21, 24 that says, God expects the glory, the honor, the wealth of all the ethnic groups to be brought into yes. his kingdom. Um, and so it is from Genesis to Revelation. I mean, when, when we talk about the glory of God, as it relates to ethnicity. Uh, that song of praise in uh, Revelation 5 is one of the first things that comes to my mind in addition to these other passages when people of every tribe and nation are gathered around the throne praising the lamb mm -hmm. uh, who was slain. Um, this is God's plan uh, for his glory in ethnic diversity. Let's presume that you can go see sports, yes. right? So we're, you know, so it's so it's Eagles 2019. game. 2019, got it. We're, we're there at the Eagles game. <laughs> you go with Buddy to the Eagles game. National anthem plays. Can one of you stand and one of you kneel during the national anthem as believers? And how does that happen? Yeah, I think I think this is this is why the why question yes. is so important. Yep. I have heard explain, and I know this doesn't fit into a the, the the narrative of a polarized nation that takes sides and says everyone who does it that way is wrong. But uh, Christians are people who are concerned for the heart and concerned for the why, and so I have heard. Uh, people give explanations. I've heard athletes give explanations for why they chose to not take a knee that is God-honoring mm -hmm. and, and beautiful. And I've heard explanations for why athletes have chosen to take a knee that is beautiful and that is God-honoring. God and so the question is the why. And is it possible to, in a sense, do either one of those not for the glory of God? Yes. Yeah. All that we do is to be done, as you said, for yeah. the for the glory of God. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Yeah, I would I would say absolutely. I I think there's um. It, it's funny how much conversations change things. So even I mean I'll get right into it. You take Colin Kaepernick, and you take the uh, military veteran that he spoke with. Like, yeah. the, they understood each other. You, you know, you you take all this giant controversy and and what has turned into it's like wait what. What actually started this? What's going on? You, Colin Kaepernick, because before it wasn't always kneeling during the national anthem. He was sitting on the bench. Yeah. And uh, so we had a conversation with a veteran who was like, you know what? Sitting feels disrespectful. Mm -hmm. Like I understand your mourning uh, racial injustices and things like that. They had a conversation and Kaepernick's like, okay, what's a, what's a way to, to mourn while not showing disrespect? And kneeling was the solution. Yeah. And the veteran was like, I fought for his freedom to be able to kneel. And so it's like you take the two people at, at the root of like what's turned into this crazy scenario. And it's just mm -hmm. like, if you get to the root of that conversation, like there's a lot of common grace that yeah. God can smile on and how they dialogued, uh, empathize with one another and came to an understanding. And uh, so I really feel like two Christians at an Eagles game um, as they're beating the Cowboys, uh, before that happens, they can kneel or stand yeah. for the national anthem and both can glorify God. Yeah, I was always uh, just aware of, you know, when I saw it, and I think, uh, you know, you said, I, I, I'm wondering what, what I do, but I, I thought, 
there are two postures toward the flag. One is you stand, the other is you kneel. Both of them respect what's behind the flag. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think I'm as patriotic as anybody out there. Um, but if I see somebody kneeling, that tells me you have a concern that you don't think is being addressed, mm. but you're respectfully expressing that concern. And I, as another American, can appreciate the fact that of all the things you could be doing, you could be burning the flag, you could be doing all kinds of gestures. There's a lot of things you could do to demonstrate your lack of enthusiasm about our country. You've chosen one thing that, in, that, that can be understood as respectful disagreement. Um, I, I, I think about it this way too. I think about, you know, me and my buddy, we're there at the game. We're a bunch, we're a bunch of other people. Everybody's laughing and joking before. Everybody's talking. Everybody's this. We're talking. They see us. We're together. You know, we, 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 we got our jerseys on. We're like clearly hanging out together. And then the national anthem comes up and maybe we're in a group where where everybody up there is standing and one of the guys kneels down and the other guy doesn't. Or we're in a place where everybody's kneeling and one of the guys stands up uh, and then that's over and you go back to relating. That's a, that demonstrates something. That creates opportunity for conversation. Why do you guys, you know, how, how could you guys do that differently? What's it? Well, here's the reason. Again, that gets at why we're here. We're not, we're not here to simply reflect what the culture says needs to happen. Yeah. We're reflect in, here to infuse the culture with what God is doing as well. And, and so everything we're talking about right now is, is hitting on the, whether we realize it or not, but how the glory of God is bigger and greater than any type of tribalism that we can, we can give ourselves to. So I, I think one of the biggest detriments to conversations and ideologies about uh, ethnic justice and ethnic harmony and ethnic unity is tribalism. I mean, tribalism can take forms, uh, take, can, can show itself in the form of political tribalism, of ethnic tribalism, of uh, nationalistic tribalism. Like if it's like, I'm a patriot and ain't nothing gonna come in the way of me and my flag. And it's like, okay, well let's like talk and dialogue about that. Because if uh, if we're putting all of our stock in uh, America rather than the kingdom of God, it's going to affect how we're able to enter into these conversations. If we're putting all of our stock into left or right political ideologies and how that works, it's going to affect how we enter into these conversations when we need to put our stock in the word of God, uh, in biblical thinking for his glory, because that is going to affect how we do everything and how we relate to any type of tribalism that is out there. And it's going to protect us from wanting to protect our tribe because we're wanting to put forth the glory of God rather than some sort of tribe that I have ascribed to. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, and one practical thing going back to this that these kinds of things, the, the real what are you doing or going to do? I think that if if I see my brother or my sister do something I think is it, I, I have questions about, no matter what it is, they post something, they do something, they say something, they respond to something, they they react in a conversation or they provoke a conversation. Um, I think what can characterize the church is not people coming and attacking what you did, but raising the question, so tell me why you did that. Not in an accusing way, not in a, 
well, I know why you did that. I just want you to know why you did that. Um, but in a, in a, you know what, help me understand why you did that. And maybe you'll find, I know you'll find with me, well, I did that because, frankly, I was ticked off and I just decided to say something. Yeah. <laughs> and then my brother should say, well, okay, that's fine. Uh, where was God's glory being manifest? Well, he want, I did what he wanted me to say. Did you do it the way he wanted you to do it? You know, and what happens is we're actually helping one another. And it, come, it could be out of that conversation comes a gentle exhortation or rebuke. Well, I, bro, I think that maybe in that situation, there's a better way um, to do what you want to do. Or it could be, oh, now that I understand, okay, I disagree with what you did, but I understand that you thought through it and the glory of God mattered to you in it. We might have expressed it differently. It allows us to have differences, but they aren't just, well, that we just agree to disagree. In order for us to be able to help one another grow, we have to have conversations that turn toward the heart without bringing up the issue of that was sin or that wasn't sin. And I think this category of how is that glorifying to God is a great category to have for fellowship because it doesn't automatically presume that someone sinned. It raises the question that is most crucial to God, whose glory is being revealed here. I just want to say that if we care about the glory of God, we will care about ethnic harmony in the church today. That you can't say you care about the glory of God and be indifferent or apathetic or not see something urgent in America regarding the state of the church. I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about the church as it relates to the separation that exists to a large degree, especially along black and whites. Um, you will you will want to do something about that. You will want to learn. You will want you will lament. You will uh, pray. You will read. You will seek to take action. It will be something that captivates your heart if you're concerned for the. Glory.